millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, February 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, following last week's indictments, we take a look at how one Mississippi nonprofit services rely on TANF funds. And with teen vaping on the rise, parents and school administrators take action. Then, after bite-sized tech, MPB celebrates 50 years, a conversation with Executive Director Ronnie Agnew. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's former Department of Human Service Director John Davis and ex-wrestler and nonprofit officials are among those charged with embezzling at least $4 million from the TANF Fund Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. Governor Tate Reeves has frozen the federal TANF grants, which are administered by the state. But other Mississippi organizations that receive TANF funds may be put in a financial bind during the ongoing investigation. Carol Burnett is director of Moore Community House and the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative in Biloxi. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier she relies on those funds to assist low-income single mothers with child care. Moore Community House uh, operates uh, women in construction job training program, and the funds that we have from the Department of Human Services for support of that program help us provide the support services, specifically child care, that these moms need in order to be able to take advantage of the job training and go to work. And these are federal dollars, correct? Yes. TANF is a federal um, program that uh, the grants are block-granted to states. And the Department of Human Services is Mississippi's agency that administers the federal funds. And so the temporary assistance to needy families, those funds are used to distribute to organizations like yours. How much have you received um, from TANF? Well, for uh, this year, uh, 2020, we have uh, about $50,000. And that's combined for both programs? That's the child that's the uh, More Community House Women in Construction Program. Yeah. And then for child care? So that uh, the child care initiative uh, is also funded through the 
um, CANF program just starting in January of 2020. The Department of Human Services just went through a, a competitive RFP process to award the CANF funds, and the Child Care Initiative has not before 2020 received TANF funds, but for this year, we do have funds to provide, again, support services, child care for single moms who are going to be going through job training through Mississippi's four workforce districts, moving them into higher-paying jobs. And the funds that are awarded to the Child Care Initiative are to support the support services, specifically child care for those moms. And do you know how much you you were awarded for that uh, organization? It was a hundred and fifty thousand for the statewide project. What does that mean to an organization like yours, a nonprofit that is trying to help single moms get on their feet and help them with childcare? Well, it means everything because for single moms, if they can't get childcare, they can't participate in job training, and they can't work. So the child care is an incredible impediment if they can't get it and a humongous benefit if they can get it. What was the application process prior to um, this year's awards? Announced public application process that I can remember was in the early 2000s. But um, uh, we've done a lot of work trying to uh, find out how TANF funds have been used in Mississippi because we've been pushing for a really long time for as much of TANF money as possible to go to support child care. Um, because child care, as I said, is such a, it's really expensive if a mom has to pay for child care on her own. And a low-income mom faces a huge problem with those costs if she doesn't have assistance paying for those costs. Carol Burnett is the director of the Moore Community House. Coming up, with teen vaping on the rise, parents and school administrators take action. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The 2020 legislative session is underway at the Mississippi State Capitol, and at issue is the place to be for gavel-to-gavel coverage. Lawmakers are expected to discuss a number of issues like criminal justice reform, teacher and state employee pay raises, and workforce development. Join me, Wilson Stribling, along with our political analysts, Brandon Jones and Austin Barber, as we bring you insight on these issues and how lawmakers are handling them. At issue, Friday nights at 7.30 on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. While smoke tobacco use is on the decline among Mississippi youth, vaping is on the rise. Since 2010, e-cigarette use has increased by over a thousand percent in middle and high schoolers in Mississippi. That's according to mstobaccodata.org. Health officials and community leaders met recently at a vaping summit in Flowood to discuss the issue. Jill Gordon, executive director of Enrich Mississippi, is one of the organizers. She tells MPB's Kobe Vance she became active when she caught her middle school son vaping. As a mom of a middle school, I had a child that bought a vape at school and vaped. So I, 
I didn't realize the severity of how many kids are not only using these products, but are highly addicted to very high levels of nicotine at this point. It is, a, it is very rampant in our schools. It's causing a large disruption of learning. The administration is spending a tremendous amount of time, uh, you know, policing vapes and uh, just what it's doing to the air quality in schools is a concern. So it is a major problem. What are some of the solutions that you're hoping to find today? Um, throughout the discussions? So some of the solutions are an increased awareness of the issue, but also I have provided uh, resources here at the summit for parents that might have a child addicted to these products and they don't know where to turn. So we have several uh, exhibitors that have brought some information for counseling services, um, tobacco addiction treatment, and I really want to provide the community resources for this. The end goal is to um, really make a positive impact on our youth with using dangerous substances of all kinds. It's not just nicotine. It's not just vaping. I mean, there's a substance abuse problem in all of this. Um, These uh, devices are vehicles for drugs. And so um, I really want to reduce the amount of youth that utilize these products, especially in our schools around other children that maybe aren't... um, privy to um, being around it all the time, really. And what are some tips? If you, if you have a parent that comes to you and says, hey, I think my child is vaping, what are the tips that you would give them to start the process of dealing with that? Um, as a parent, I was ashamed. As a parent, I was humiliated. I was uh, disappointed that my child had done this at 12 years old. A 12-year-old uh, having access to these products is a major uh, problem, in my opinion. And I just tell the parents out there that if it is happening, and it is a very high likelihood that it is in the middle school and high school years, um, don't be ashamed and don't be scared to ask for help. Jill Gordon is the executive director of Enrich Mississippi. Educators have banned vape products at schools, and now they're trying to change municipal laws to make it more difficult for teens to get vape products. Ben Stein is the principal at Northwest Rankin High School in Flowood. He tells our Kobe Vance a new ordinance is helping to lower the rates of teen vaping. It started out where it was probably a problem in high schools. It's it's trickled down to middle school and even into the elementaries, but... Uh, it's really become prevalent with us for the last couple years. Um, we've seen a, a huge increase. Um, so we've uh, done a lot of things to try to stop it. Um, our first offense for um, our students here is a two-day suspension um, out of school with a one-day in-school suspension where they have to go through a vape education course to educate the students on what the dangers are of vaping and um, why it's important not to do that. And, uh, and then we call parents and communicate about it and try to do everything we can to try to stop it at our school. And talking with a lot of uh, principals across the state, in South Mississippi I learned of a school district that was uh, putting in a city ordinance to try to uh, tackle the the vaping epidemic. So I talked to that school in detail, and the first thing I did when I got back to uh, Flowood, Mississippi, is I called our chief of police and said, I've got an idea that I'd like to put in place. And I could tell you, uh, I looked at the data this morning, just before I came here, just to see the the difference. Uh, The first Five months of this school year, from August to December, we had about 70 incidents of vaping at our school, averaged about 14 per month. We've had four incidents in the month of January, one incident in February. So we went from averaging 14 a month to now four. So I believe the city ordinance has made a big impact on 
maybe uh, stopping this uh, vaping epidemic. So. And what exactly did the city ordinance say? It's, uh, it talks about the issues of what uh, defines what uh, vaping is, um, puts it in, the, in, in, in legal terms, and, and talks about the offenses as far as what happens to you. First offense would be um, it's like a, you get a, a summons to court. It's a $50 fine, possible community service hours, and possible education course to educate the student and parents on that. As a first offense, it could be one of those three things. It's up to the judge. Or it could be uh, all of those three things. Second offense, the fine goes up to $250, up to 60 hours of community service, and also more education on vaping. And then each offense after that is, is the same as the second offense. But it's pretty intense, and I think it's uh, opened the eyes of a lot of students and parents to, to maybe get away from this thing. So I think it's working. What are some of the things that you've been, what tips have you been telling them? And maybe have you been telling parents as well that are going home and trying to deal with this topic with their children? Well, the main thing is, is uh, educating our parents. Our parents are, are not aware of what all is going into these vapes and what the students are, are putting in their bodies when they're vaping. So education is, is one of the biggest things that anybody can do in their communities. But the more we educate our parents and students, the better off we, we can be. Ben Stein is the principal at Northwest Rankin High School. Coming up after Bite Size Tech, MPB celebrates 50 years, a conversation with Executive Director Ronnie Agnew. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Welcome to this week's Bite Size Tech. I'm Jay White. On the show last week, a caller asked an important question. How would one go about getting access to files and documents that are password protected of a recently deceased friend or loved one? Wilson and Jeremy take it from there, and the answer that they provide may not be as high tech as you might expect. Here is this week's Bite Size Tech. I'm calling about ways to preserve one's password past one's death. You know, we safe deposit boxes at the bank in which we put important papers so that our survivors can get access to insurance policies and investments and all of that. You know, recently a person passed unexpectedly and her family didn't know how to get access to her accounts. In fact, her computer was also password protected. So I'm just searching for ways that we can, you know, have our passwords available past our death. Does that make sense? Well, it does. And I think, uh, I think honestly, you hit on one of the simplest and low-tech solutions for that. You know, it may seem a little bit low-tech, but simply writing down those passwords and having them stored in a secure location. Uh, you know, for example, a number of years ago, my wife actually had a heart attack, and I was pretty concerned because it was actually on payday, and I'm like, okay, how do I pay these bills? Uh, it's a matter of being able to get to those passwords. Now, for us, we're sharing them, but, you know, sometimes just that low-tech approach of just writing it down and giving it to someone else, maybe putting it in, in, in someone's safe for safekeeping. Uh, another thing, a lot of accounts 
accounts now, uh, bank accounts, social media accounts, investment accounts, will actually allow you to set up recovery addresses, yeah. which will typically be someone else. So say, for example, I get a credit card. I make sure that my wife's account is actually on there to where she can speak on it in my absence in case something were to happen to me. Because, you know, not too long ago, and we actually mentioned on this show, there was a gentleman in Canada, uh, there was a Bitcoin company. And he passed unexpectedly, and he passed with the password, and $145 million to all of his investors were lost because there is no way to recover those sometimes. you got to have someone who can speak for you once you're gone, and really when it comes to passwords, if they don't, if somebody else doesn't know your password, I mean, you know, we always say all the time, don't share your passwords. You know, up at work, for example. Um, you can, it's kind of like, like a will, right? You need it, something it really that's is. similar to a will, and, yeah. it, and it can be almost just as, as important. Well, the only you, problem with something like that is that whenever somebody changes their password, they have to go to that service and update that or whatever, and you have to make sure that people are doing their due diligence to do that. Because what I've noticed is I'll have a client, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've got that password in a book. And they'll go flipping through this book, and they'll be like, try this one. And they're like, no, wait, that was my old one. That's from two years ago. Try this one. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying all yeah. these different passwords mm-hmm. because they can't remember which one they wrote down. So I've often thought about that, like there needs to be a service where that password could be stored with a, almost like escrow. You know, that party has yeah. nothing to do with it. They just protect it. But keeping that information up to date is the problem because it's so easy to change your password. Well, and some of that comes yeah. back to personal responsibility, too, though. It's, it's no different than anything else. I mean, you've got you've got to maintain it. You know, going back to our first segment conversation. Yes, security can sometimes seem like an inconvenience. But what what's the opposite? What, what does it cost you if you don't do it? What does it cost you if you don't Keep those records up and make sure somebody has those. Unfortunately, if you pass away, it could mean you know your loved ones and those who are still here are left without. So it is our personal responsibility. For more tips like this, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the MPB Public Media app, free in the iTunes and Google Play stores. And live weekdays at 10 a.m. right here on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. If you've been listening to MPB Think Radio regularly, you've probably heard dozens of happy anniversary wishes. 2020 marks MPB's 50th year serving Mississippi. And to celebrate, Mississippi Edition will bring you a series of conversations with the influential figures that have shaped Mississippi public broadcasting over the last half decade. We start the celebration of that history with our current executive director, Ronnie Agnew. I go back to being a little boy, all all of seven years old, living in rural Lee County, Mississippi, uh, only able to get one station on our on our in our rural area of where we lived in, in Lee County. And suddenly this uh, new this new network popped on our screen. And we being so young, were elated that we had two choices now. And ultimately, that two those two choices became one choice because PBS Mississippi ETV became our it was it was our favorite channel we watched it all day long and uh, we could not believe that all of a sudden this this came into our lives this great gift came into our lives that we never expected 
and uh, until this day, until this day, I, I pinch myself thinking that that seven-year-old kid is now actually that seven-year-old kid who, who was raised in poverty um, is now actually the director of this station, uh, the statewide station that reaches every household in Mississippi. It is absolutely, you know, it's the American dream. It's a story that uh, that you can only I can't I couldn't have written a better script for myself <laughs> than for my life. Who are the pioneers behind this? Who went to the legislature and said we yeah. need this? Well, you know, I, I I wish I knew all the names, but I can just tell you that one of the prominent names that I'll mention to you is that every year I go to Capitol Hill. Every single year, and every year, I used to I used to go to see uh, the Senate Appropriations Committee chairman, who happened to be Thad Cochran. And every year, he told me a story as if I'd heard it for the first time. He would tell me that my daddy was a founder of Mississippi ETV, and he was very proud of that. And beyond being very proud of that, as a person who actually controls who controlled a lot of the nation's money, he told me his commitment to public broadcasting would never waver. And as long as he was a Senate Appropriations Committee chairman, that public media would be okay. And you know what? We were. 50 years is a long time for any organization or business to grow. Talk about the growth. It started with a television station. Yeah. Yeah. And reached yeah. many people, including yeah. this little boy. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about the growth, and you think about the fact that it was uh, it was it was founded on and based on education principles, and that has never changed. And and today, as I look at our education staff, they're doing work that is just absolutely amazing. But guess what? Back years ago. Uh, our folks in education were doing instructional materials that was actually being sent to the classrooms overnight, uh, and it was a, it was an amazing thing. It was an amazing accomplishment to be able to help teachers in Mississippi with that with the, with that tool to give them the uh, to give them more of an arsenal where they could actually reach their students. And MPB Mississippi ETV did that for a number of years, and I, I've seen television go from. You know, the early days of, of TV, uh, one of the things that I remember was recently that we aired an old throwback show with my friend Bill Ferris uh, interviewing, interviewing uh, someone about, a music, about music. And I, I had no idea that in 1971, my friend Bill Ferris, who went on to run the, uh, the Center for the Study of Southern Culture at Ole Miss, had been a part of this story from since 1971. A lot so of people have been through these of, doors. A lot of people have been through these doors, and we have the evidence to we have the evidence to prove it. And over the next year, we hope to roll out on a consistent basis all the people or many of the people who have been a part of this story. Too, too. Um, they number their numbers are just too numerous to name, and but we will we will, we plan to make sure that people know who basically who has been through these doors uh, and the, the the purpose they served and why this was such an, an important part of Mississippi's uh, it, it's, it's been a part of Mississippi and it's been an important part of Mississippi for so many years that I, I just I just shudder to think what where would we be without Mississippi ETV uh, and now Mississippi Public Broadcasting because we've added so much in the arts 
culture and the music and education, documentaries. We added radio, and radio has been amazing. We have news that has, you know, that's, that's a top-level news where people are actually able to have a dialogue versus screaming at each other. <laughs> we have evolved into this amazing thing, and to think that Mississippi – and those founders back there, when they first drafted the legislation in 1969, and we actually went on the air February 1st, 1970, to see to see what they what they created, they created one of the best public media systems in the country. Ronnie Agnew is the executive director of Mississippi Public Broadcasting (MPB). Ronnie, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.